welcome to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Alistair Vince, CEO and Chief Tinkerer at a company called Watch Me Think, which specializes in gathering and analyzing consumer-made video ethnographies. Company that I must say has really fresh ideas and ways to really understand products and experiences from the consumer's perspective. Now, in addition to running the company in myriad speaking engagements, Alistair spends what I think is probably, he would admit, an inordinate amount of time scouring and curating for all sorts of interesting tidbits from the world's marketing insights and innovation, which he publishes on his fortnightly blog called The 100. We'll talk about all that and more on today's podcast. So welcome to the show, Alistair. Thanks, Matt. That's it's really kind of you. Really lovely introduction. I almost don't recognize myself, but yeah, it's very, uh, very lovely to be here. Really nice. Thank you. for It's an honor. So thank you. All right. Well, super happy to, super happy to have you here. Now, according to your LinkedIn profile, and I think this is really interesting. So according to your LinkedIn profile, uh, you began your career as a shelf stacker at Sainsbury's and then a Big Mac constructor at McDonald's. Um, how do you start there and find your way, much like probably a number of people listening to this podcast? So how do you go from there to finding your way into the world of research and insights? Well, it was quite a long path, to be honest. Um, the the early stage, I, I just chose to put it on LinkedIn because, uh, as um, you know, I've said in the past, I, you know, I think people take LinkedIn a bit too seriously sometimes. So I wanted to bring a bit of humor to it and a bit of realism to it that um, you know I didn't just suddenly fall into uh, an amazing job or running a company just like that and there was a lot of a backstory to it when I actually did get to uh, market research I, I kind of fell into it to be honest a bit like most people I think uh, you know it's not a career I was looking at I studied human geography at university um, so it wasn't anything that was a natural pathway for me but I saw a job advertised as a telesales executive at Mintel and uh, decided that I'd go and apply. Uh, I got the job. It was, seemed I was pretty good at it when I got the job. I uh, got promoted fairly quickly through various roles at Mintel um, and ended up leading the uh, global new products database, which is a system Mintel have where they capture all the new products from around the world. Right. And I suppose it was then that my obsession with uh, product research, innovation started to come to the fore. It was, you know, I really, really got into it then. But during the time at Mintel, I actually also got the opportunity to spend two years in Sydney um, working with a colleague of mine called John Hopter. And we basically ran the Sydney office together. Now, my specialism, I suppose, is much more on the account management side of looking after clients, nurturing relationships, that kind of thing. John was much better at new business and that kind of thing. Um, but we had a brilliant um, time there, you know, working really well together, uh, grew the business really successfully. But then after a couple of years, I moved back. He stayed, got married. Um, and there is a link to this story, which is why I'm telling it. It was um, about four years later, he gave me a call. Uh, and the time difference between Australia and the UK is that you either have a late night, early morning call or an early morning, late night call. Right. Anyway, he called me. It was late in his evening. He'd had a couple of glasses of wine with his wife okay. Um, and said, do you want to set up a business together? Um, and I was, <laughs> obviously was laughing but, uh, and thinking he wasn't serious, but he was serious. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to. But the problem was we didn't have an idea. So he said, 
I'm going to fly over. Let's let's try and work something out. Um, so he flew over. I took a week off. We sat in my back garden um, and tried to come up with an idea um, for a business. And we were struggling for a bit. Uh, and then remembered uh, Nancy Schneider, who was the director of innovation for the Whirlpool Corporation, um, standing up at a conference, uh, FT Innovator was, uh, and telling everyone in the room about how she took her entire board out to people's homes to watch them fill washing machines. And they noticed everyone bent down to fill it up. And when they got back up, they leant on the washing machine and made a little grunting noise. And as a result of that, they developed the washing machine that stands on a plinth so you don't have to bend down. Um, and we were sitting in the audience just a bit stunned by all this. It was all a bit strange, you know, this, uh, yeah. our, <laughs> this observational research, because we'd worked in with data more than anything else, was really exciting. So, yeah, this was something we thought about. But we also had been working when we were in Australia with lots of innovation teams and brand managers and marketers who couldn't get their, you know, junior brand managers out to people's homes, let alone board members. And we thought, well, if we could bring the two together somehow, maybe there was something there. So when smartphones became more powerful as they were when we were sitting in that back garden, um, we started to put join the dots a little bit together and we came up with the idea for Watch Me Think, which um, is now still going as a business. It's 10, 10 years old now. Um, you know, it's got 35 people working for it. We've got three offices around the world. Um, and, you know, we're, we're independent. We, we choose what we want to do. Um, yeah. We've created a, created a great culture. I know that word's thrown around a hell of a lot. Um, but in our case, it really is true. We've got an incredible, uh, you know, employee retention. We've got a profit share scheme. Um, yeah, we've, we go away together. We do something called Watch Me Play, where we all go to South Africa or San Diego and fly everyone in from around the world for a week of just having fun. Oh, and, you know, there's those types of things that you know, when I was, you know, throughout all my um jobs that I've had in the past, everything, you know, going back to even night portering at a hotel, you know, what we wanted to do when we set up Watch Me Think was create a place that we wanted to work in. Um, and that was absolutely the overriding aim of the organization was that yeah. we wanted to work at a place where we wanted to work. Uh, and uh, I think we've achieved that. So, you know, that, that's kind of how I got into it. Oh, I love that. That's, uh, that's such a cool story. And um, it, it kind of makes sense now when I think of the, the vibe of your company and some of the ideas that are very, very different. Yeah. So, so imagine, I mean, that's, that takes a lot of time, right? Um, especially, you know, creating a culture and running a company and dealing with customers and all that sort of thing. Um, but somehow, somehow, and I'm thankful for it, you find this time to put together the 100 every two weeks, which I just love it when it, when it uh, lands in my inbox. So, so tell us about what inspired that and a little bit about what it is. Yeah, I suppose, well, to give you a bit of background, I suppose, first things first, I really like writing. So writing is a massive passion point of mine. Um, I can't say I'm any good at it, but I really enjoy doing it. And I've written like three screenplays, two books, one TV series. None of them, of course, I've ever shown to anybody else because that's not what I do it for. I do it because I enjoy doing it. Right. Um, and, and I love the craft. I love, um, I love the you know building of the story and that kind of stuff and the structuring of it and writing something that perhaps one day someone will like to read. So mm -hmm. that was one side of it. The, the other side was that I really like reading, listening, watching, yeah, interesting stuff from interesting people. And, and, and that was something that I 
was always trying to do in my role, always trying to expand my knowledge and reading as widely as possible. But that's always quite a challenge. Time is such a massive factor these days. And, and that's, I, I genuinely believe that's getting worse and worse. People are inundated by, um, you know, work and projects. And it just seems to be getting, you know, time is a real challenge for people these days. Um, but as I was reading, there were lots of articles that I'd be reading and I was, I'd get to the end and I'd be like, I, I shouldn't have bothered reading that. Or I wish I'd have known what this was about a bit in a bit more depth before um, I actually started reading it. And I also thought, you know, if I find these interesting and these articles are great, you know, I love it, whether it be a TED talk or something else from another, uh, another, you know, broadcast, uh, broadcast side media, um, or if it's a long piece in the New York Times or a long read in the Guardian, whatever it may be, you know, others must be finding these fascinating as well, but haven't got the time to read them. So I like the idea of having something where I could condense down articles that I found interesting into a format where people didn't necessarily have to read the whole article so it would give them enough to decide whether they wanted to do it without them having to click into it without them having to search for it um and that was really important but i also wanted to make sure it wasn't dry so uh i wanted to make sure that i had an opinion you know and, and right. make it personal and have references to trips or places or people um but you know, I, there were so many things that I wanted to do, but it, you know, and it started out as probably a much more basic format than it, than it is now. Right. And I think by putting the extra information in around the articles, it is a bit longer, I would say, than maybe a traditional newsletter um, that people have, but you're able to get an understanding quickly and you don't have to click through. It's not blind. So you're not looking at something and going, I have no idea what this is, but the title sounds interesting of the article. So I'm going to click through and then waste your time. So we're trying to make it a time efficient um, newsletter more than anything else. That, that's one thing that we're doing. Um, but, you know, another thing was that I was fully aware that the world, you know, I, I talk about empathy a hell of a lot. It's one of my big passion points is empathy. You know, we're, we're, you know, one of the reasons for Watch Me Think is empathy. It's about driving people's understanding of other people. But I think, you know, particularly, you know, companies can get really narrowly focused in their roles and not have the opportunity or not read widely and, and not do things like that. So, you know, this echo chamber is something that we really need to be aware of. And, you know, I know time is a, often used as an excuse and really it's just about it not being a priority. But, you know, I think it's a case of trying to open people's eyes to wider stuff that's out there and interesting stuff that's out there. And if I can put a couple of interesting articles in front of people that change their mind about something, then great. You know, then I've done my job and that's something that is great. And, and you know, I've, I've made loads of mistakes along the way. Um, you know, one, one reader highlighted that I was... Uh, highlighting more men than women in terms of articles that I was putting in. And of course, that wasn't something I was doing deliberately at all. And I wasn't even aware of it. But, you know, I've now taken measures to change that and make it more balanced. And, you know, it's those type of feedback from from readers is is fantastic. And pointing out, you know, errors or, or things where they're just aware of things is, is great to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and I suppose... You know, one of the big changes we made was how do you actually get people to open the thing? Because um, <laughs> with, with email these days, I think it's one of those massive challenges where 
people get so much email you know I, i've just been on a couple of weeks vacation i came back i had like 1400 emails in my inbox yeah. uh, and <laughs> I, by within two hours i'd condensed it down to about 18 um that were actually relevant and interesting and important for me to handle but but you know it's insane the, the amount of emails getting so how can we actually battle through and when we started we didn't really think about our titles that much um but we've really started using this rhythmic rule of three now in the title. Okay. Um, so a few examples I've got here. So um, being wrong, dispensing ketchup and drawing some mud. Or empathy, the I'm not biased, biased and magic phrases. Or competition, myopia, B-side pitfalls and giant beetroots. So we try and, yeah, those kind of, that rhythmic rule of three has really helped open rates, like transform them completely. Um, so now, really, the general rules are not corporate, you know, not in any way promotional of, of watch me think in any way, to feel personal, um, to be fun as well as useful and to be natural. And it takes a lot of effort to make it look natural, I must say. It's one of those things where, you know, you have to put a lot of work in to make the language look uh, natural. But the copy is now uh, edited by three different people. So from three different backgrounds, genders, all sorts of different things. So um it enables us to make sure we're, we're well try and make sure we're capturing and making it as relevant to as many people as possible so. yeah yeah i i can relate to that because it's relevant i know the content is going to be relevant because i've i've seen it before uh, but then the the quirky like you said the rule of three makes it enticing it's like oh i gotta see what that's about right yeah it's relevant so it's time i'm that's worth my while but uh but it sort of teases it in a in a interesting way. So um, definitely, yeah, it's cool. So is there anything since I know this was a passion project for you? It's just kind of done on the side. Um, is there anything that you've sort of learned from that experience that you put back into your business? Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, loads. I, th I think probably most of the stuff we've learned is around comms. You know, and obviously it being a newsletter, that's you're naturally going to find that. But really sort of spending a very, very high factor of time on the subject line of emails that we're sending to people, even even just when it's one to one. Um, so everything from marketing emails through to one to one emails, really focusing on that. Um, I think not being boring is <laughs> i know it sounds ridiculous but it's one of those you know not being boring having an opinion you know is you know is really crucial you know in the hundred i will often say if i don't like an advert or something like that or find something just a bit annoying i'll say it doesn't matter if it's a client of ours or not um and i think i'm hoping that people respect that or rather the people that i want to have respect from will respect that um i think you have to be aware of uh, you know, cultural and language differences. We were, uh, well, an Australian company first, uh, effectively, because we launched in Australia uh, three months before we launched in the UK and then a US company. Um, this goes to, I think, about 6,000 people now worldwide. So you've just got to be aware of, you know, I know there's some basic stuff just as things like spelling, but also just words and phrases and trying not to be too clever so that people can can understand it you know more than yeah. anything else um another thing is clicks i think you know we've designed this not to be something that we rely on clicks um through to yeah. the article 
you know, it's not judged on, on click rate, it's judged on open rate. Um, but I think, you know, people can get caught up on, um, on click rate sometimes. Um, and the thing is, there is such, you know, we've noticed certainly from when analyzing analytics on this, looking at the variation by country. So the US is typically a very low clicker um of of clicks certainly on our stuff whereas the uk is you know off the charts they'll you know seem to click through on lots of stuff and it's one of those things where we're sitting really i suppose it's it's the phrase you know don't sweat the small, small stuff you know and, and we try not to worry about things like that but you know i think more than anything it's it's empathy you know uh, going through to going back to that theme again you know being aware of people's time don't just send a link to a deck um, or a link to a report. Mm -hmm. Give them a reason to click through or explain to them what that's about. Um, you know, this is in our everyday, this is in our agency world, but making sure that, you know, they only have to click if they want to. Don't make it more work for them. Make it do the work for these people as much as possible. That, that's really what we're trying to do. And that's what I, the biggest learning I think we've taken from the 100. And that, that's developed over time. But do as much of the work for them as possible. Um, you know, have have empathy for that for that audience more than anything else. And, and the final thing I would say, which is a really interesting, well, I, I think it's really interesting. It might not be interesting at all, but um, is never underestimate how much people are still fascinated by PowerPoint. It, it is one of the things that I have absolutely no understanding why. But every year we do an assessment of the most popular articles um, and every year without fail at least one or two articles that mention powerpoint will be in the top two um, and it's it's just insane so there is a real if you really want to get people's attention tell them your email is about powerpoint and <laughs> and i'm sure they'll open it so uh, or pre presenting or whatever it is so yeah amazing that's fascinating cool cool all right so so you talked a lot about Right. Um, and I, I feel like there's sort of this wave of uh, research that's kind of catching up to that idea. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you've been at this for 10 years with, with Watch Me Think. Um, you know, what do you see the future of insights looking like? What's important? I mean, it's a big question. And we, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. But there are, I suppose, there are some. There are some key things for me which I think the insights industry needs to address um, or needs to look at. And, and firstly, I, I think we've got the balance wrong. I, I think that um, the obsession we have with data, which rightly so, there's lots of phenomenal data sources out there, has led to a degree of people forgetting about people, which has made the empathy problem worse. Um, and, you know, big data really dominated the conversation for so long and still does to an extent. But I think those of us on the people side of the research world really need to start shouting more and more and more because otherwise we're just going to be overrun by spreadsheets and, and forgotten about. And, I, you know, I, the amount of brands that are out there, people that work for brands who have never watched their customer or seen their customer yeah. use their product or use their website is frightening um and i think to actually you know create successful innovation that is an actual crucial part of the research mix and it, that's what i'm that's what i'm pushing for is a is a better mix 
more than anything else. It's not um, it's not saying data is rubbish because that would be the stupidest thing to say. But it's about that balance, getting the balance right, which I think um, yeah. we haven't done yet. And then I think another thing is uh, being a bit more bold um, and not being afraid to change. I, I think, you know, the, there's so many agencies out there who still deliver 120 slide decks and expect yeah. them to be read. Um, and it's, I don't know, I don't know if that's an opinion of one, but for me, with going back to that time theme that we talked about earlier, you know, how about communicating the insight in one sentence on one slide and just saying, there you go. It, yeah. it feels to me like the massive decks sometimes are produced to justify the fee. Uh, and I think that that's what clients actually want to know is what has been uncovered. And they want to do that in a most compelling and efficient way possible. But we yeah. seem to avoid that. Um, so that would be, that'd be another one. Um, I suppose a third would be attracting talent more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, talking about my origin, you know, I, I'd never heard of research as a career when I was at <laughs> university. And, yeah. you know, it, still, I think most of my friends don't know what I actually do um, <laughs> or, <laughs> or what MRX sort of stands for or what it, um, what it actually includes. And, you know, it can be a really, really exciting industry. I love working for it and I'm really passionate about it, but we need to nurture that good stuff and really promote it a lot more and, you know, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of negativity around research sometimes, certainly from, um, well, sometimes from, you know, certain industries, you see them blame the research for a, a problem, but it's probably the method that was, that was wrong rather than the actual, the principle of using research. Um, and I just think too many people fall into research rather than choose it. And I'd like that to change. I'd like to, I'd like to see people actually want to go for a career in research. And, because it's it is a genuinely exciting, brilliant industry to be in. Yeah, I mean, once people stumble into the alley of research, they tend to stick around because it's fascinating yeah. work. And um, you know, this, I think this this podcast shows that the people are are as interesting as the work. So definitely, and, and I think you know, there's there's uh, one other thing. I think well, a couple of other things, which is just about we need to look outside our sector more. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I think there's a risk of us being too insular um, as a sector. There's, there's a lot of, you know, again, I, I don't want to be controversial, but I sort of do as well. <laughs> but the, a lot of the um, industry events are dominated by the same people. Um, there seem to be a, a similar set of people, 15 sort of 20 faces that dominate um, the industry. And that feels a bit wrong. Um, Annie, um, Annie Pettit does, you know, some phenomenal work with, uh, with IIX on, and Greenbook on the new faces and getting new speakers there. But that should be replicated across all the industry events because yeah. that, you know, it's exciting to see those fresh faces. And there's a risk of us becoming this sort of echo chamber within on ourselves. Um, you know, and, you know, I've seen one person from the client side who's been at six, spoken at six different events this year. Um, and, and that just seems crazy to me. It's like we've got to be better at getting more range of people speaking at events and getting people from outside in um, and, and looking at that. I think that's a real, such a massive bit of potential for us as an industry to do that. And that will help us integrate more within to, into businesses more. And, you know, it's just, 
it always seems as you know we're the we're the sort of poor cousin on the side and i, I really want to change that yeah here here for sure all right um so so you have you have had the opportunity to scour so many interesting sources um curious to know you know which ones are sort of your go-tos for inspiration insight or or even enjoyment any kind well, of I mean, there's some yeah i mean there's from a from a work side I would say, you know, there's people like Martin Weigel, uh, who's planning a uh, guy at uh, Weedon and Kennedy. Um, he's, he's phenomenal. I love everything that he writes. Um, there are some great people to follow on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and, and you find the people to follow on LinkedIn. It's almost just, they just naturally, naturally rise to the service. I love uh, Vicky Ross. I think she's amazing. She's a phenomenal copywriter. Um, and um, everything she publishes, again, is brilliant. Um, there's lots of behavioral scientists out there that I would follow as well, who, who always produce great stuff from, from a personal point of view. I mean, I'm a massive podcast fan. Um, and you know, I think you can learn a lot from podcasts because their, their sort of whole element is all about storytelling really. I mean, that's, that's essentially, they want to keep you listening. Um, but there are some brilliant ones out there. Um, certainly rule of three, which is comedy writers talking to comedians about, uh, their favorite episodes of comedy sketches and sort of deconstructing them is brilliant. Um, the Fault Line was an amazing one that was on Audible, which was on uh, Bush Blair in Iraq, which was I thought was really interesting. West Cork, again, another amazing one on Audible, which was um, it's probably the best true crime one I've ever listened to. I mean, it is if you want to know how to tell a story, that is the one. I mean, they, they absolutely nail it. It's, uh, and it's now been made into a Netflix and series, I think, as well. So, um, but it is just outstanding. And then uh, a really good one, which is sort of crosses across professional and personal, is uh, Matthew Syed. It's called um, Sideways. Uh, and Matthew Syed is an ex-table tennis Olympic uh, oh representative for Great Britain uh, and he then became a journalist for the Times uh, newspaper um, but it's about talking about ideas that sort of shape our lives and um, stories of how we should see the world differently and it is magnificent it's just really good it's, it's again it's about flipping your sort of ideas about what you think about something and changing your mind it's really really quite smart so that's probably the one that is the best one crossover both personally and professionally so okay cool cool lots of new stuff to check out i appreciate yeah that, uh, the recommendation yeah, i mean yeah brilliant brilliant and and from a music point of view just very quickly yeah. uh soul music if you haven't listened to soul music it's a half hour episodes just on one piece of music that has really influenced various different members of the public they bring in to talk about it uh the one on forays of requiem is off the chart, beautiful, sad, really emotional. It's, a, it's an amazing um, soul music. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. They've done about 100 episodes now, I would say, and it's just it's fascinating, really fascinating. Cool, excellent. Well, speaking of music, right, this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. <laughs> so, um, this is a question that I that I really care about, right? The one that's most important to me, nearest and dearest to my heart. So I want to know, it's going to tell me a lot about you. Right, so you're, you're stranded on a desert island. You have three records at your disposal of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are they? 
Well, this is a, this is officially the world's hardest task. There's no question about. It. I was I was having thought about. I, I often think about this. I'm a big fan of Desert Island Discs. Um, generally, I love it as a program. It's it's really really good, and it and it challenges. And every time it's on, I think there and think, well, what would I achieve? And I really struggle to narrow down. I've got I've got the problem is I've got a really why uh, there's no sort of individual genre of music that I am wedded to so I'd have to take examples from different ones so I think first would be um not rock and roll in the slightest I hasten to add is Foray's Requiem um and the, if I can only take one track it would be In Paradisum which is uh, I think is one of the most amazing pieces of music ever written it's a really it's, it's got a lot of meaning uh, to me uh, in particular, and um, I, I just absolutely love it. I think it's phenomenal. Probably the second one would be uh, event, probably going in the opposite direction, would be uh, NWA Straight Out of Compton. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which, is, which was the music of my youth. I think I've listened to that album more than any other album ever. And... The thought of not having that album available to me on a desert island and not being able to turn it up very, very, very loud and listen to it over and over again would be um, devastating. So I think that would be definitely uh, coming with me. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then the third, oh, the third's a really challenging one. Because um, then I'll need something that's probably in between the two. So I think one of my favorites there's two two albums that I would choose between. One is um, the Ham the the Roaches the Hammond song, which I think is okay. a, a beautiful piece of music. But also I've also got Etta James, which I which I think is um, her album is brilliant. I think I'd have to take the Etta James because um, I just think that's that's my calm before the storm of uh, NWA. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a one-two punch, I must say. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Super cool. Well, this has been a great chat, Alistair. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. Love your insights about uh, about research. Uh, a lot of it hits home for me. Uh, I know you're super busy, right? You've got uh, you've got the Hot 100, uh, or not the Hot 100, the 100 uh, <laughs> to pull together. So uh, so I won't keep you, but thanks so much. I really appreciate it.